JLL recently came out with a report. One of the key recommendations, the way they phrased it, was to avert a crisis. Developers need to audit the availability of raw materials you know, before even beginning a project, rather than assuming it's just going to magically appear. You know, the problem is, is that we don't learn about it ahead of time. It's, it's, it's something that they learn about when it's already, it's already affecting the project. Welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Kavanaugh. So for today's episode, we are digging into a foundational material for real estate development that The Real Deal's Catherine Brenzel found is quickly disappearing. (laughs) Are you purposefully keeping it vague? Yes. And the puns are a little game for listeners. Guess that disappearing resource. So... While you sift through the possibilities, let's get into the news. Last week, we saw Hurricane Ian barrel through Florida as a Category 4 storm. It's one of just 15 Category 4 or 5 hurricanes to ever hit the state. As of the time we're recording this, we're not quite sure how severe the damage will be. But before Ian made landfall near Fort Myers... CoreLogic estimated that 7.2 million homes were in the storm's path, and that's about 75% of the state. The potential reconstruction value of those houses could be as high as $1.6 trillion. What we do know is the state has seen devastating storm surges and flooding. The Coast Guard has been deployed to rescue stranded residents, and 16% of the state lost power. Turning to home sales nationally... Mortgage rates just keep rising. They hit a 15-year high this week, and pricier financing is driving more prospective homebuyers to back out of contracts. So Redfin reported that the Sun Belt, which really became the golden market of the pandemic housing boom, has seen the highest rate of canceled contracts. Yeah, it seems like another sign that the COVID-era demand for certain markets is starting to peter out. The Sun Belt, which stretches across the lower third of the U.S., saw home prices and rents completely soar over the past two years. In cities like Austin and Phoenix, home prices rose so high that they priced out local renters. But with borrowing rates rising and more employees getting called back to the office, demand for those Sun Belt cities seems like it's finally waning. Meanwhile, though, coastal cities, so looking at San Francisco, San Jose, New York City, some parts of Long Island, those have seen fewer contract cancellations, which which is another sign that folks may be buying homes closer to the office. Given the fact that most employers are headquartered in coastal cities. Right. Yeah, the return to work trend is still really hard to parse because we're seeing coastal housing markets fare better. But at the same time, office occupancy levels in New York are still nowhere near where they were before the pandemic. Yeah, it looks like the surge in office visits that we expected post-Labor Day weekend has plateaued pretty quickly. So Bloomberg reported that card swipes in office buildings popped by more than 10 percentage points in the first two weeks of September. But then the week of September 21st saw swipes fall. And as it stands, less than half of New York City workers are back in the office, which just in general doesn't bode well for that sector of the market. Right. And it's difficult to even figure out how many people are back into the office. Card swipes are one measure, but it's kind of difficult to really gauge how many people without kind of stepping foot in an office building. I mean, the title of an analysis that was recently released by NYU and Columbia kind of says it all, right? It's called Work From Home and the Office Real Estate Apocalypse. The authors expect that by 2029, the city's office stock will fall in value by 28 percent. That's $49 billion. 
In that same vein, office towers along 3rd Avenue were dubbed, quote, leap behind space, unquote, by a Savills executive this week. Uh, Bloomberg also reported that that stretch, which spans 42nd Street to 59th Street, has a vacancy rate that's 10 percentage points higher than the city's. And that's primarily because the buildings are older and they need a refresh and they're not really giving employees what they would want to come back to. Right. I had a broker in L.A. tell me a couple weeks ago that landlords need to offer something better than what's at home. Right. So newer buildings offering state of the art amenities are finding firms willing to lease space. Uh, For example, this week we learned the investment management firm Franklin Templeton signed a 15-year lease for a roughly 350,000-square-foot space at 1 Madison Avenue in the Flatiron District. The building is owned by SL Green, and the landlord's chairman, Mark Holliday, called the deal one of the top three office leases of 2022. He also included IBM's 16-year lease for about 330,000 square feet at the same building in his roundup. That building is still under construction, and I think completion is slotted for 2024. But when it's finished, it's going to offer all of those amenities that employers hope employees want. So lounges, restaurants, fitness centers, you name it. And we have to talk about this historic deal last week, the so-called Lost Intact Gilded Age Mansion traded at its asking price of $50 million. The inside is absolutely amazing. For any listeners, you should definitely look at pictures. It was owned by a granddaughter of Cornelius Vanderbilt, the railroad baron. The sellers, which is kind of unusual, are a group of five UN countries. The buyer is an anonymous businessman based in London who plans to use the property as a pied-à-terre. Okay, so returning to our guest that disappearing construction material game... The resource that is slipping through our hands is sand. Ah. It's kind of a tough one to wrap your head around since sand seems plentiful and we don't really talk about it. But as Catherine Brenzel reported, that is one of the biggest issues with the shortage. Sand is something that we kind of take for granted. So the story you wrote opens with this really perfect slice of irony. So Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who also just became its prime minister, wants to build these two 100-mile-long skyscrapers in the middle of the desert. And for context, it takes about 100 miles to drive from Philly to New York. The catch there is that he might not have enough sand to do that. So how did you get tipped off that there was a sand shortage in the first place? So it's kind of funny because, to be honest, this was not something I was even aware of until I watched an episode of Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness on Netflix. Skyscrapers are so interesting to me. I grew up in a small town. It was an episode about skyscrapers, and there was just sort of a series of building-related statistics that flashed across the screen for a few minutes. And one of them was that um, the world may run out of sand by 2050. And I just thought that was a stunning statistic. And to be honest, it sort of oversimplifies the problem in that we don't have enough data to determine when or if the world will definitively run out of sand. There have been a number of stories and actually a number of books on the subject. And basically, the the main problem is that we are using sand faster than it could be naturally replenished. And in the case of the Saudi Arabia towers, um, 
it's not so much that there, you know, isn't enough sand for the towers. It's it's more that there isn't the right kind of sand in the immediate vicinity. Um, you know, there's it's surrounded by desert sand, but desert sand can't be used for you know, concrete can't be used. Um, you know, in some cases it can be used for glass, but um, most likely they'd have to ship materials from from elsewhere for that project. And that's the case with a lot of with a lot of places where you have depleted sand resources and it needs to be shipped from from other places. When you think about the issue, it's hard to sort of wrap your mind around because you know we go to the beach and there's sand and everything, but. Can you expound on what are the different types of sand that go into construction and what are they used for specifically? Yeah, so I mean, the the biggest uses for sand and construction are in concrete and glass, as you can imagine. Um, for glass, um, it's typically made using silica sand and it's sometimes called industrial or quartz sand. And it's a purer form of the material that must be at least 95% silicon dioxide. For sand that's used in concrete, it's it's grittier sand. Um, and the reason for that is because you need the sand to be sort of angular to bind to the other materials that make up concrete. So typically you'll have sand and you know, different kinds of stones, which together is considered something called aggregate mixed in with um, cement, which is the glue that holds together concrete. And so you need those sort of grainier, grittier uh, grains to you know, have a maximum amount of strength for that material. Got it. So finer sand, glass, grittier concrete. Mm-hmm. When did we first start to see signs of a shortage? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can't pinpoint the exact moment or location, but I know over the last few years, there have been a number of reports that Vietnam was seeing, you know, really pronounced shortages in, in the material to the point where there were predictions that within, you know, a five-year time span, the, the country was in danger of running out of sand. So I think, you know, it's something that over the last few years, there's more awareness of the issue, but I think it's hard to sort of nail down exactly when this problem started. Which was interesting because I guess the developers aren't even really thinking about sand much. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that was actually kind of a challenge in reporting this story out because I would I would call people and they would be like, what sand shortage? What are you talking about? And I mean, I think that mentality is, is pretty understandable because, you know, often developers are not the ones who are, they're not directly ordering the raw materials that are, you know, being used for, for glass, for, for the concrete. Um, but, you know, they sometimes do eventually, you know, learn about these, these issues because it will, delay a project or it will add cost to their project because the sand has to be shipped in from further away or it's taking longer to get to get there. So it is an issue that they probably should be a bit more cognizant of um, just because, you know, this is something that, you know, could in in the future, um, you know, further delay projects. And, you know, we're already dealing with supply shortages with supply chain issues. So it, it is something that I think there probably needs to be more awareness um, higher up in the sort of construction hierarchy. Gotcha. And so I'm assuming that the shortage is human caused, likely over mining. So among the industries that use sand, is real estate the prime offender here? I mean, construction is the biggest consumer of sand. You know, there are countries where demand for the material has completely exploded because you've seen an explosion in um, new construction in those countries. So, you know, I know that Vietnam, China, India, and other countries that have seen sort of just a rapid increase in the amount of, you know, construction that they're doing, um, you know, have, have seen their consumption of sand 
skyrocket. So let's talk a little bit about the Sand Mafias, which I feel like sounds like Dune. Um, So how are they (laughs) playing into the shortage? Yeah, I mean, so in those countries where you have seen a dramatic increase um, in demand for sand. You have seen black markets for the materials springing up. You know, there's illegal mining operations. There are groups that have become very territorial about their supply. Um, and that has led to violence and, you know, reportedly has led to hundreds of deaths in some countries. Mm. I would really recommend, there's a book that I, that I read for this story called The World in a Grain, The Story of Sand and How It Transformed Civilization by journalist Vincent Pfizer. And he, he really gets into sort of the sand mafias and sort of how they factor into the you know, global sand shortage. Um, but it could get really, he himself kind of got into some scary situations and reporting on the mafias. I definitely recommend reading if you want to read a whole book about sand. Okay. So if we focus on the U.S., then where have we historically mined for sand? Yeah. So I know according to the latest um, geological survey by the U.S. Department of the Interior, Texas and Wisconsin were the top producers of construction grade sand in the U.S. But, you know, over the last few years, the top dozen or so states have sort of shifted. Sand supplies are really region-based. You know, for concrete, it's it's often more economical to ship sand locally. And then, you know, there are exceptions to that when those local sources are depleted. In California, you've seen sand being shipped from other countries. And I think in Long Island, which has typically been primary source of construction sand for the New York City construction market, you're starting to see those resources really become depleted. And companies have started going to New Jersey for their, their sand needs. I was just sort of amazed that it seems like there's so many different signs that sourcing of sand is, it's sort of gradually and quietly affecting projects. And before starting on the story, I really didn't know much about the issue. And, you know, in reporting the story, I I realized that it, it's not something that's, you know, widely talked about, at least in the U.S. But, you know, there are a number of signs that this is something that really needs to be considered, just, you know, to ensure the future of our built environment you know, talking about Long Island, there have been a number of companies that have sort of consolidated to seize what sand resources are left. To give you an idea, there were 78 sand mines in Long Island at one time, and now there's only 23. I talked to the executive director of the Long Island Contractors Association. He had said that, you know, it's not really unthinkable that, you know, in the next couple of decades, there will be no sand mines in the region. And this is, you know, this is a an area that has a long history of providing construction materials to New York City and the broader metro area. I think it was just particularly telling of, you know, there are these signs that the way that we build it is changing and, you know, needs we need to pay attention to where we're sourcing the materials that make up the buildings that we that we walk around every day. How it's working right now, it's kind of just coming out in the construction costs and then they're like, oh, what's this? Is that sort of when it comes on their radar? That's my understanding. I mean, I know I, I spoke to an architect in California who was like, we have seen delays in, in getting sand occasionally on, on a few projects. And you know, the problem is, is that we don't learn about it ahead of time. It's something that they learn about when it's already it's already affecting the project. 
So I guess that's that sucks for budgeting purposes then because it's like you just have to deal with it in the moment. Yeah, and I mean, I think like there's sort of two sides to it in, in that from a practical standpoint, developers, construction companies should, should be thinking about this just in terms of figuring out where they're sourcing their materials. Will it affect their budgets, their project timelines? But then there's sort of obviously the grander concern of long-term sustainability of sourcing these materials and you know the impact it'll have on, on the environment. So I think there's the practical consideration and then there's sort of the, the grander you know, future of our planet. planet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess looking at the practical side, have there been any projects that have been stalled or stopped because of sand shortages? And if not, does that seem like something that could be possible in the next 10 years or so? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we have already seen you know, delays on projects. I think right now it's it's very sort of anecdotal, um, but I do think it is an issue that, you know, could become more pronounced over time. I know that JLL recently came out with a report that said there have actually been considerable disruptions in the delivery of, of glass and concrete due to sand shortages. And the, the brokerage actually cautioned in their report that, you know, as a result of this, you could see rapid price growth and shortages in high quality materials over the long term. One of the contractors I spoke to said that their glass manufacturer sent a notice earlier this year that was basically like, glass is going to go up 40%. And it was funny because, you know, when I talked to this contractor, he was like, I don't know if this is in any way related to your story, but it, like we did receive this notice earlier this year. And when I looked into it a bit more, there were other glass companies that had also issued similar notices that there was this dramatic increase in the cost of glass. And each of them had sort of cited this inability to source raw materials for the product. So it is, you know, something that we are seeing. Right. Okay. And I know the UN chimed in in the spring about some steps developers can take to offset the shortage issue. So can you get into those recommendations a little bit? Yeah. So I think one of the key recommendations that that report made was they actually, the way they phrased it was to avert a crisis. Wow. Okay. They said that developers need to audit the availability of raw materials before even beginning a project, sort of rather than assuming it's just going to magically appear on the project site, which, you know, sounds like a pretty simple thing to do, but, you know, typically a developer is not really intimately involved with the sourcing of the raw materials that go into their project. It's, it's something that's dealt with by, you know, suppliers, by subcontractors. So really sort of the the heart of that recommendation is just the developer needs to play a more active role in ensuring that the materials they're sourcing are being sourced as sustainably as possible. If they're building a project that they're going to have to ship the materials from thousands of miles away, you know, maybe you need to reconsider the kinds of materials you're using, see if there's any sort of alternatives that can be that can be considered. How about substitutes? Because I know in your piece, you talked a little bit about alternatives to just traditional sand. Are they very expensive? Are they hard to get your hands on? What's the deal there? At this point, there are some companies that are you know, looking at these materials, they're looking at different kinds of recycled building materials as a replacement to sand, looking at broken down metals that can be used instead of sand. But I think it's very much still on the periphery. And like with any sort of major construction innovation, there's a slow adoption of sand alternatives. Uh, and that and that could be traced to the fact that, you know, because it's new, it is more expensive to incorporate in your project. There is less familiarity with it. So you have to make sure your construction team knows how to work with it. And I think it's just something that is going to take time. You know, as more companies show interest in it, there'll be you know more demand for these kinds of alternatives. And, you know, as there's more suppliers of these alternatives, then 
that sort of helps drive costs down. And I think, you know, to be fair to say developers, and obviously we don't mean like all developers everywhere, but some of the interviews I, I had, I, I talked to a section manager who said that before they really did not involve themselves in the sourcing of materials with their suppliers. And, and now they're they're much more involved with that because of all the issues they've seen during the pandemic of supply shortages and, and different sort of supply chain issues. So I think there is at a necessity a shift in attitude, and I, I'm sure that we'll start to see that among developers. Deconstruct airs every Monday on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Next week, we're talking about everyone's favorite topic right now, the Fed and mortgage rates. Tune in then.